Welcome to 9394, a music podcast with Travis Roy. Good to have you back. You know, since I started this podcast, I have really been fortunate in that I've gotten a lot of support from a lot of friends and family. And one of those supportive people since the moment I announced that I was doing this podcast has been Brandon Callahan. He offered to come on like immediately and talk about metal albums. And he'll like reach out and be like, hey, dude, I'm still interested. I will do all the metal albums and God bless him. It's much appreciated. And he is definitely one of the best people I could have chosen to do this album because I'm not a huge metal guy. Um, I never have been. There was a moment, as I talk about in this pod, where I was into Pantera, but I was very well out of them by the time that this album, Far Beyond Driven, came out. But not Brandon. Brandon fucking loves Pantera. And he is here to share that love with you. Check it out. can hear you hey awesome how you doing good man how are you i'm doing well thanks thanks for having me thanks for doing this i really really appreciate it it's uh, good to hear your voice you too um so how do you and i know one another brandon well we grew up i'm assuming for the majority of our adolescent lives in uh, heartland michigan a little suburb of everywhere pretty much <laughs> hour outside of detroit half hour out of ann arbor and flint so pretty close to everywhere yeah, we were really well located to like hit any show growing up, which was cool. Yeah, I really liked that. We were fortunate to you know hit the major arenas in Detroit or the small clubs in Flint or you know wherever it may be. Yeah, and your sister, of course, I was friends with since I was in my freshman year. She was one of the first friends I made in high school. Yeah, I know uh, she was class of '97, Heartland. Yeah. I don't know what class you were, but you, yeah, you were. I was right behind her. Yeah. And then, of course, we uh, had a lot of mutual friends as well. I don't know how much we knew each other, like, in high school, probably by, what year did you graduate? I was class of 03. Okay, so we weren't at the same time, I don't think. Yeah, I remember I was friends uh, with Brian Johnson, one of the Johnson boys, and mm-hmm. we'd always be rolling out to Ipsy and hanging out, and you know there was always something going out out there at the time. Yeah, you still friends with Brian? Yeah, I still talk to Brian, uh, his best man at his wedding. Oh, that's great. He's a good dude. Yeah. That's awesome. But let's get into Pantera. How did you come to get into this album? Well, my journey to Pantera, funny enough, starts with Aerosmith. Okay. Around 93, 94, like that's when, as a young person, I made a just like a choice. Like, I need to get into music. Mm-hmm. I don't know what spurred it, but I was just like, I need to start listening to music. <laughs> it's the age. It was the age you were in. Yeah, like my sister, you know, she was heavy into music, and uh-huh. my mom was a big musical influence on me too. So, randomly, uh, the movie I was watching the most at the time was Wayne's World 2. Okay. Which features, as you know, Aerosmith. Mm hmm. 
and I just randomly picked them. I was like, this is my favorite band. Good enough for Wayne and Garth, good enough for young Brandon. Right on. So uh, I started with Aerosmith. Around that same time, our family got cable TV, which of course gave us a direct line to MTV and VH1, which still played a fair amount of music at the time. Yeah. And before the internet, getting cable was like having a window into the world. Finally. Yes. Yes. And ironically enough, Aerosmith was on another weird come up at this time with the Get a Grip album. So like they yeah. were on MTV too. So I was like, huh. But I also noticed like a lot of other bands that like a lot of kids my age were also listening to. And I started getting the more heavier stuff like grunge and, mm-hmm. you know, Rage Against the Machine had Evil Empire at the time. Uh, well, that was a little bit later, but mm-hmm. everything changed in fifth grade for me. And uh, I saw Sean Kletzka with a Metallica Ride the Lightning shirt. Okay. And just off the imagery of that shirt alone, I was like, this is my new favorite band. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. The electric chair floating there and the guy in the electric chair on the back that glows in the dark. I was like, I've never heard a song by them. I don't care. This is my band. <laughs> so Metallica really opened the door for everything heavy to just come flooding in, you know, and mm-hmm. Like you said, internet wasn't readily available at the time. So you do a lot of digging in like magazines, like Rolling Stone, Hit Parader, Metal Edge Magazine, Spin. Guitar World was big with me too because I started to get into playing guitar. So eventually you would see Pantera come up multiple times in all these magazines, all these interviews. Dimebag had his own column in Guitar World. That's right. You know, that was very influential on a lot of guitar players at the time. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's cool. So first Pantera album I had was Vulgar Display of Power in uh, sixth grade. And that was it. You know, I was a Pantera fan for life from then. And I got far beyond Jivy, no, not too long after that. Probably the next album I'm assuming I got. And I digested those heavy as a as a young man. Well, as all ages of a man, actually. (laughs) Continually, right? Yeah. I was kind of like you in that in fifth grade at like nine or 10 years old, I was pretty heavy into the metal. I was listening to Metallica. I remember I had Cowboys from Hell on cassette. My brother had Vulgar Display. So I was like able to listen to both those a lot. But by the time this came out a few years later, I was 13, 14. You know, I had not listened to this album in my entire life until the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, of course, you know, was well aware of Pantera and grew up listening to those two albums. But it's funny listening to this album the last few weeks. I was like, man, if this had come out in 91 or 98, when I was more into heavier stuff, I would have been all over it. But I just kind of missed it because it was just in this time frame of my life where it's just really about like indie rock and alternative and not really into the metal stuff. But I'm glad that you wanted to come on the show. I've been kind of hesitant about how much metal and stuff and like how much, how many albums I want to bring on the show that I don't have a personal connection with, you know? But I recognized that this is an important album, and I wanted to talk to you because it had been a long time. And I was like, okay. And then I started listening to it. I was like, well, shit, this sounds a lot like a lot of stuff that I got into later. Like in the late 90s, I was all about Hatebreed and Coalesce and stuff like that. And I was like, well, those bands were clearly modeling themselves in a lot of ways after not just Pantera, but I feel like even this album specifically. Yeah, Pantera, they had a pretty big influence on music heading into the mid to late 90s, more Mm -hmm. than they get credit for a lot. I've heard them be referred to for better or worse as like proto new metal you know what i mean like <laughs> okay heavy double track like money riffs yeah kind of aggro digitech whammy pedal which was synonymous in a lot of new metal later on a digitech whammy pedal it's a uh, pitch modulation effect for guitar okay and you can hear it's tom morello was a huge user of it but dimebag daryl guitar player for pantera right adopted the digitech whammy pedal on this album you can hear it in becoming the do 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 like all the 
high pitch modulation. Uh-huh. Like Korn used that a lot. A lot of bands he influenced for better or worse with the sound of Pantera. Yeah. And also this album kind of is a little bit more different than I would say Cowboys from Hell yeah. or Vulgar Display of Power as far as like lyrical depth and just like weightiness of subject matter. And sound too, a little bit, right? Like this oh, feels yeah. more, that was actually going to be my next question for you is as someone, cause you're like a Pantera fan. Oh, yeah. I take it. Uh, is this album seen as a turning point in their career? Because it feels like a lot different than when I remember vulgar display and Cowboys from hell being like, yeah, vulgar display and Cowboys kind of right off that, you know, Texas Cowboys from hell, mm-hmm. good old boy energy, <laughs> but with far beyond driven Phil definitely went more introspective with the lyrics and yeah it shows he was going through a lot of heavy stuff and also like music wise mm-hmm. this album very groove laden a lot more groove than the other two cowboys and vulgar which are a little bit more fast tempoed yeah yeah that's it right there this one seems like it can really feel the jimmy page influence on dimebag daryl coming through oh, on this yeah. i feel like there's a lot more riffage as opposed to just like speed yeah a lot of riffs, a lot of grooves, and a lot of killer riffing. Right? Dimebag was a huge influence on me as a guitar player. The precise razor sharp riffs that he's just always laying down just barned on to a lot of guitar players. Yeah, it's unfortunate that he passed early and I was like, how could they continue without him? Then I looked at who's playing for them now and Zach Wilde. I'm like, well, oh, okay, I guess I, I get that. Yeah, it's a decent replacement. You can't quite match that, but you can at least be parallel if not as the same, right? Yeah, but this album just kind of seems a little bit more mature, too, than the previous two. Definitely. And also, that gets to your point about Anselmo's lyrics. The lyrics on this surprised me in quite a few places. Yeah. The depth of vulnerability and, like, introspection and personal stuff, there's still, like, that heavy, I'm gonna kick your ass kind of stuff going on, which is kind of a little eye-rolling to me in a few places. Great. But I was, like, he dug deep. It's really vulnerable. A lot of times, especially with metal for me, Lyrical content, if it means something or if I can find something in it, cool. Mm-hmm. If not, like as a musician, like what really gets me with the metal is the riffs and the drumming. And sure, that's what I look to a lot. But this is the first time going into this for this podcast, sitting down with the lyrics mm-hmm. and like actually like digesting them as I'm hearing the song. I was too very surprised at how deep a lot of it was and not just like braggadoche, you know chest puffing you know <laughs> yeah which yeah bill's known for well yeah and, there, and again there's definitely some of that on the album but i think yeah. 25 years stands out as being particularly like this is like a therapy session i feel almost uncomfortable with the lyrics in this because it's so like oh i'm learning a lot about you in ways you know, not you obviously phil but i'm learning a lot about phil in ways that you just don't get not just from pantera or like that i thought but in metal generally it seems yeah, reading up on this, Phil cites that song specifically as, quote, a love letter to his dad, who he wasn't getting along with at the time. We're fucking you back. He's <laughs> quite a lyric. We're <laughs> <laughs> 
So what about for you, could you name a best song on this album for you? Well, it's hard to pick. I mean, this album is stacked. A lot of great songs. But favorite, I always go back to the opening track, Strength Beyond Strength. Even though, like you said, it's a lot of chest puffing, Phil, but just the first track off the album I heard. And with our generation-ish, I know when I would get an album, it was kind of an experience. I would sit down with it. First track, press play, let it go. And Strength Beyond Strength, that opening, just like, it just goes into it. And it's got the energy. It's got like a little breakdown. It's got kind of like all the pinpoints of a Pantera song. And it just kind of brings me back to the first time hearing the album, Strength Beyond Strength. Yeah, it really grabs you right from the get-go and lets you know exactly what you're in store for in the album. And I agree, I felt like, you know, again, like I'm a newbie to this album, so take my opinion with a grain of salt here, but I almost considered it to be my favorite song on the album. But for me, a song that grabbed me the most was Slaughtered because you can really hear the connection that Dimebag Daryl and what's the drummer's name? Abbott, something Abbott? Dimebag Daryl and Vinnie Paul brothers, last name Abbott brothers. Okay, yeah, so Vinnie Paul, and you can really hear Vinnie Paul and Dimebag, the way that they grew up playing together. Because a lot yep. of times when you hear the rhythm section, it's the bass and the drums that are really in sync. But like this nonstop chugga, 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 yep. and it's like... rhythm section oh it's so tight and it's tough that's one of the things about like this album like driving around listening to it makes me feel tougher than i actually am so i gotta like be careful how much i listen to stuff like this i'm like i'm not actually hard i'm not gonna slaughter anyone but i feel like it when i'm driving and listening to that song and honestly if you would ask me tomorrow i could have picked slaughtered as my favorite song like so much interchangeability with like this album because there's so many like i said so many good tracks that i love on here the first concert i ever saw was Black Sabbath, Pantera, and the Deftones. Holy shit. Yeah, it was the Black Sabbath reunion tour, uh, February 99 at the Palace. Wow, my first concert was Amy Grant, so I think you got me beat. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, music's music, my brother. (laughs) This is true. Pantera played Slaughtered at that show, and hearing it live, and just, yeah, I love Slaughtered. And talking about driving around with it, my first car, I had a stereo that cost more than my car, and... (laughs) 
<laughs> Pantera pounds unbelievably on a really good stereo. Production on this album too is just so yeah. crisp, so clean. Terry Date, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He produced it. I'm glad you looked that up. I was just thinking how I was like, oh shit, I forgot to look up who produced it. What else is he known for? He does a lot of metal. Mm-hmm. Let's see, he did the first four Pantera albums. Oh, okay, so they had a rapport. Yeah, he did Soundgarden, Bad Motor Finger. Oh, great, great album. Astro Creep 2000, White Zombie. Okay, so he was working in this era. Yeah. That's for sure. Sir Mixlot, so he's got he's got his hands in a lot of stuff. That's diverse, and yeah, that makes sense. Prong and Pantera have always been kind of wedded in my mind since I was a kid. What about is there like a, an underrated track on this album, either for you or that you think that like fans don't appreciate as much as they should? Well, it's funny you mentioned Twenty Five Years because that is my underrated track. I feel that is just one of Pantera's best tracks. Mm-hmm. It's heavy it's emotional it's very personal you can feel it coming through and it's kind of an epic structure of the song too and yeah there's a lot of different parts to it and it's got a groove it's got a fast part you know it has all the pinpoints of a good pantera song and it's set right in the center of the album i think that's like mm-hmm. intentional right like it feels like the centerpiece of the album it's not my favorite song on the album but it is the one i've thought the most about the last few weeks for all the reasons that we've discussed lyrically yeah. and also just the changes in the song, the way it progresses in like kind of some unconventional way. song structures starting on this album and going on got a lot more unorthodox just like you're not going to hear verse chorus verse outro you know whatever you're not going to hear that on you know any pantera album but especially on this and going forward it seems like they got like a, a confidence in this album with their songwriting maybe oh. where they're like we're never going to end up on the top 50 or whatever but we're, at the same time we have a really strong fan base and we're like heroes of the metal scene so we can do whatever the fuck we want by 94. Yeah, I mean, the song Becoming is about them becoming bigger than their musical heroes. Uh-huh. They were saying in interviews how they would see a lot of the bands they grew up with kind of playing by the numbers at the time. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, no, fuck that. We're Pantera. We're not going to do that. And they never did that. That's respectable. And then also they kind of influenced because they would tour with those bands, too. And yeah. they would open for them. And if you got Pantera opening for you, and you're closing the show, you're going to have to step your game up, you know? <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. As a live act, they were insane. I saw them twice, and it was some of the best shows I've ever seen. Uh, what was it the second time you saw them at? Second time was Kobo, the Extreme Steel Tour. I believe it was 2001, August or June. It was Pantera, Slayer, Static X, and Morbid Angel. Okay. 
That was a heavy show. Yeah, that's like uh, you'd walk out of that bloody, I imagine. And Slayer <laughs> opened for Pantera. They let Pantera close the tour. Wow. I mean, Pantera, I guess, would be bigger, but Slayer are like the godfathers. They took a back seat, like, go get them, brothers. And Kerry King actually came out and played fucking hostile on the every stop of the tour. That's very cool. With Pantera. That's very cool. Yeah. That sounds like a memorable show. Oh, yeah. Could you pick a weakest song from this album? Without a doubt. Well, okay. If you would have asked me in like seventh grade, I would have said Planet Caravan, the Black Sabbath cover at the end. But now I really like that. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's a nice palate cleanser at the end. and Exactly. And definitely it feels like they were listening to a lot of Alice in Chains at the time, but not like in a bad way, not like in a way that they're ripping them off. I just feel like it's a, a, a mood. But now sitting with the album and going through the lyrics hands down it's good friend and a bottle of pills like again i am very new to this album i wasn't even gonna say what i thought was the worst song until i heard that song it is fucking terrible yeah and reading in an interview from phil that it's a true story from his youth i'm just like that's even sicker i'm done like why is it's a dumb interlude yeah dimebag said on an interview he's like i was wasted when vinnie paul and rex were doing a little exercise uh-huh. I came in and just was wasted on Jack Daniels. I wasn't even hitting chords or notes. I'm just making noise. And Phil put these lyrics over it, and I don't know what the hell was going on, and all of a sudden it was on the album. Oh, my God. And it's a pretty thick album. They really didn't need to stack it. Yeah. They didn't need filler, and it feels like filler. It feels like a skit or something. It could be cut and never be missed, and everyone would be happier. Sometimes I thought you might be spying, living out some fresh fantasy, but no, you were knocked out. But we were all knocked out, you know, in a way. Yeah, and it kind of gets it. So, again, I have kind of a touch and go relationship with metal. And the metal that I typically do like is usually stuff that. Darkest Hour, Coalesce, like stuff that if I can't understand what they're saying, I'm not bothered by it. And like listening to that, I'm like, oh, this guy's a bag of shit. You know, like it's hard yeah. not to, it's hard not to like judge whoever wrote that, which is Phil. Yeah. And, you know, Phil's one of those guys that you just wish he didn't open his mouth when he's not singing a lot of the times. Or raising his fist at yeah. Daryl's memorial concert, as the case may be. Yep, yep, there it is. <laughs> yeah, there it is. And honestly, like during this album, he was hooked on heroin, hooked on painkillers. Oh, really? Uh, he had degenerative spine disease that he was going through, and he was he was not having a great time. And this maybe some sort of I, I don't even know. There's no good side to it. It's just it's sure. garbage. Yeah, but the rest of the album, there's only a few points. Well, actually, the, the lyrics for Shedding Skin also kind of like made me go, what the fuck? But generally speaking, the rest of the album has some pretty, you know, yeah, I read about Phil said that was about his inability to uh, form relationships. Yeah, I felt like he was talking kind of to himself and not yeah. like a woman, but it's also kind of sounds like he's talking to a woman. I don't yeah. know. It's a weird song. Kind of like the metaphor, but then he gets kind of specific and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Whereas then you have like throws of rejection, which is so complicated and again, like super vulnerable. I feel like the lyrics and the song are matched in a way that. Like you could tell, like there was a lot of craft put into that one because, like, you can feel the guitar and everything, like doing like this winding down. Like, I am depressed. I am like in the throes of rejection. It's really creative. 
again with the unorthodox structure of the song too. Just yes. Starts yeah. and stops and just squeals out of nowhere that lead into another interlude. It's just it's cool, cool stuff. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Do you have any specific memories tied to this album that you would uh, want to get into for the show? Just playing guitar and just we've been emphasizing, you know, a lot of the lyrics because it's the first time I've really got into it. But mm-hmm. what got me into Pantera and will always like keep me into Pantera is Vinnie Paul and Dimebag. Just those two are Pantera for me. The music, the riffs, the rhythms, and Rex. Rex is a solid bass player. For sure. Not to not mention him, but Dimebag had a huge influence on me with the tuning. This is the first album that they were tuned down to C sharp. Um, they were in standard tuning for the first two albums. Oh, C sharp is a step and a half down from standard tuning. It's mm-hmm. known as the Sabbath tuning. And Dimebag would go on to use this for the rest of his career. I adopted this tuning because of it. Mm-hmm. And I had the Dimebag Daryl Seymour Duncan pickup in my Ibanez. I still have it. And just the way I write riffs, mm-hmm. um, equal parts, I'd say I owe me Hatfield and Dimebag. That's just like, those guys are what made me pick up a guitar. And you're still playing regularly? Are you in a band? I jam with our buddy Ian periodically oh, um, as a two-piece. Cool. We record, we switch instruments and go on and off. But I'm talking to you from my home studio at my house with my Sure 57 mic and my little Marshall amp. I got my DAW and yeah, I'd still play guitar. Nice. That's good. Is this one of your favorite albums of all time or is this one of your favorite albums of 93, 94? All time, hands down. Okay. I had a feeling. To have that big of an influence on you and how you create music. Yeah. This seems like this is part of you. Yeah. And like a lot of people we're familiar with in pop culture come and go, pass away. But when... Mm -hmm. Dimebag Daryl passed away. Like I, I'll never forget hearing it. I'll never forget where I was. I'll never forget how I felt. It, it, it hurt a lot. And such a tragic and the way he way. went to. Yeah, it was just fucking brutal, completely unavoidable, and not his fault. Yeah, no, of course, it's just such a fucked up way for someone like you know for anyone to go. Yeah, but yeah, that's really sad. And I feel like if you're missing one or both of Dimebag Daryl and Vinnie Paul. Like, is it even Pantera anymore? Because it just really seems like those guys were the main draw. And that's why the reformed Pantera with Charlie Bonatti from Anthrax, Rex mm-hmm. Brown of Pantera, Philip Pantera, and Zach Wilde, they're going out and touring as Pantera. And people are, you know, oh, that's not Pantera. How dare you? And whatever. It's just, I see their point, but it's just like, it's for the music. Their estates have signed off on it. It's, that's good. If they're good with it, why can't you? It's just then don't you know, don't come. We don't want to see you there. <laughs> That's a good point. And you know what? It makes me think of bands that we're used to thinking of as classic bands and older bands, not that like are bands practically that were, tribute bands. That are practically tribute bands, exactly. Like Leonard Skinner is not remotely what Leonard Skinner is, or you know, Creedence Clearwater Revisited and all that kind of stuff, or Journey. Like right? if you go on Wikipedia, they show like the timeline bars of like all the band members, and like <laughs> you can see some of these like they have 15 plus members that have come and gone, you know, some of these ba- no, 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 no. Just oh. like, you know, some of these bands in general, legacy bands, yeah, yeah, legacy bands. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of what Pantera has become. That's cool. I mean, I don't know if, are they still producing new stuff? No. Uh, well, they've been talk of them producing new music, not under the Pantera name. Okay. Well, that sounds 
I mean, that's interesting because then like, how are you going to tour? But it sounds like they have a really good sense of what they're doing then. Because I know, all right, it sounds to me, you tell me, there was definite friction between Anselmo and the Abbott brothers, though, right? Like that was like things went to shit between them or am I wrong? No, that was, you're right. That's one of the main reasons for Pantera's breakup. Pretty much after 9-11, oh. they never came back. Oh, really? Yeah, they went their separate ways. And then in interviews, Phil started spouting off. Right. Because he was in a bunch of other bands at the time, yeah. like, doing all of his other side projects. And the relationship deteriorated between Phil and the Abbott brothers, and they never reunited. Well, it is good that if you want to see him now, even though like some of the key members are gone, that you can at least see him. Yeah. And it's probably fun, which is cool. I mean, and I get why people are upset because, you know, Vinnie Paul and Dimebag are huge shoes to fill. Yeah. And people could be like, including myself, can be pretty precious about the bands that they hold most dearly. And I know that Pantera's fan base is really devoted. Yeah. Has there ever been a point where you set this album down or is this one of those ones that you return to on a near weekly basis? Um, I wouldn't say weekly, but there's never been more than a few months, I'd say, where yeah. I don't listen to this album or any one number of Pantera's amazing albums that I love. And this is one of the go-to. Especially, this is my favorite Pantera and one of my favorite albums of all time. And right. yeah, it's, it's never far from reach for me. And, you know, Dimebag also caused me to, like, go back and... Because in a lot of the Guitar World interviews, he would talk about Eddie Van Halen and Randy Rhodes and, you know, go back and I would listen to their stuff, too. Mm -hmm. and he was a huge Kiss fan and... You know, I'm, I'm not a big Kiss guy, but like I can look at it through his eyes, I guess, and like see what he saw. I mean, he was such a big Van Halen fan. He's actually buried with the guitar from the uh, Van Halen 2 album cover. Oh, really? Van Halen put it in his coffin. His Kiss coffin, he's buried in a Kiss coffin. Yeah, I did read that. That sounds appropriate. Forgot to mention the, uh, the charting of this album. Oh. Do you know what it debuted at? Uh, no, I don't. Debuted April of 94. On the Billboard Top 200, the album debuted number one. Number one? Billboard Top 200, number one. Probably Holy the heaviest shit. album of all time, I would say, to debut number one. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I would never have guessed that. I would have been impressed if they broke the top 10. Do you want to hear the top five? I do. I got them right here. I do. Okay. So starting at five, we got Live at the Acropolis by Yanni. <laughs> <laughs> okay number four we have above the rim soundtrack okay number three we have the sign by ace of bass number two we have longing in their hearts by bonnie Raitt. and number one pantera far beyond driven those albums didn't all come out at the same time though right yeah this is uh holy shit well because Ace of Base really got big. Well, actually, Ace of Base had been on the charts for 18 weeks. Oh, then. okay. I was going to say. Because I remember like, I saw the sign was like inescapable for a yeah. month or two. But still, that's really impressive. I mean, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Because that says absolutely volumes about Pantera. Not just as like a metal band, but as an American band. That gets to your point about them being not maybe as appropriately appreciated and valued as maybe they should be in terms of influence that they had in the late 90s. Number one spot, that's primarily word of mouth. They had a couple of videos on MTV, like Walk and Cowboys, from, but yeah. they weren't played in heavy rotation at all. I think the only single from this album that I remember was Five Minutes Alone, right? 
Uh, singles from this album were I'm Broken, Planet Caravan, Five Minutes Alone, and Becoming. Five Minutes Alone is funny because like it's really, really tough sounding. And he's like, I'm asking, please. I'm asking you, please. <laughs> please. Please. I'm like, that doesn't really come off very tough guy. But he is talking about kicking someone's ass, I guess. Well, did you read the origins of the song? It's like he like got into some sort of scrape with someone's son, so the dad wrote them a letter, right? Yeah, the son was at the Pantera show, flipped off Pantera. Mm-hmm. Pantera stopped the show, flipped him off, and everyone else in the audience flipped him off. And then people in the audience beat the man up, and the man's father sued Pantera and asked Pantera's manager for five minutes alone with Bill. <laughs> like that's gonna, like that's gonna happen. Yeah, and Pantera's manager said, you don't want Five Minutes Alone with Phil and hung up on him. Yeah. <laughs> I probably agree with the manager. But yeah, the Five Minutes Alone is a quote from the boy's father. That's pretty funny. And he must have said please, because it sounds like maybe it's a direct quote. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty funny. I never thought of that. And Phil's yelling it. <laughs> right. Please. Please and thank you. I ask you please to scare us. What about as far as to wrap up this interview, what's the song you want to go out on? Play me off with I'm Broken. Okay. Because that riff is just such an earworm. And it's an amazing riff that Dimebag actually came up with at Soundcheck. Cool. And it's instantly one of their biggest songs. And I really dig it. And everyone else is going to dig it, too, because it's going to be in their ear all day. So. <laughs> it's a good one to end on, then. Cool. Yep. Good. Sometimes I'll ask who you think the MVP of the album is, but it sounds like you think it's Dimebag Daryl. Am I right? Dimebag is definitely the MVP of this album. The riffs will always be king for Dimebag and for me, and his riffs are up there with the best of them. I mean, it's an impressive album, but I'm trying to imagine this without him. And it just, would we be talking about it now? Probably not. No. Vinnie Paul and Dimebag yeah. are definitely Pantera, but Dimebag, his riffs, is the signature of Pantera. And he's the main songwriter, right? Yeah. That says everything. Anything else you wanted to say about Pantera or this album before we move on to one, you know, some other stuff? The only other thing I had is just the similarity between Vinnie Paul and Dimebag and Eddie Van Halen and Alex Van Halen. Just how they kind of play off each other in the same ways and how Van Halen brothers were such a big influence on the Abbott brothers and you can hear it like in the way they play and the tone, Dimebag's tone. Yeah, that's a super obvious comparison that did not occur to me at all. I'm glad you you made it. (laughs) I was reading his uh, Dimebag's Guitar World interview when this album came out. Uh He said he triple-tracked through three amps each guitar channel. Wow. And I think there's, what, probably at least three guitar channels, so at any given time you're hearing, like, nine guitars. <laughs> Fatten it up. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Are you listening to anything else lately? Well, everyone who knows me, the new Metallica album, 72 Seasons. Okay. I've been digesting it pretty heavily since it came out last month, and... I think it's some of their best work, and I encourage people to check it out. Whenever a band is grinding out albums for decades, and then they release something really late in their career that makes the fans like sit up and pay attention, that's rare 
and that's very awesome when that happens. I'll have to check that out. I'm not I'm not a huge Metallica fan, but if you are and you say that that's standout, I'll I'll at least give it a I'll give it a and, listen. You know, people take it with a grain of salt because I am a massive Metallica fanboy, sure. but yes, it's it's some of their best work, I think. Right on. Great. All right. So my last question for you is about the nineties. Now you are a longtime guitar player, so you're not requiring you brought it up a couple of times, guitar world or anything yes. like that anymore. Um, but when we were kids, right? Like I don't know about you, but all my guitar playing was completely dependent on whatever five songs these guitar magazines would have tabulated for me to figure out. Oh yeah. They would have like usually and a song by whoever the feature cover artist was and then just a couple other random ones and it's like, it looks like i'm learning sweet home alabama today <laughs> right i remember like learning songs i didn't even really know that well and be like well, i'll just kind of do my own rhythm because i don't really even know what it's supposed to sound like <laughs> and also uh dimebag had a article in the back by the songs in the guitar world magazine and also like at one point angus young did and carrie king did very cool and they would print tablature of just like a riff of a song so sometimes you would just get a riff of one of your favorite songs then you would just have to like figure the rest out if you didn't have the tablature or like access to it which yeah that was always way beyond my ability i'd like look at those and be like well that's for someone else who's not me <laughs> i was always more of a rhythm player oh yeah me too uh, leads uh, always kind of felt like homework to me and that's you know another way Dimebag influenced me was just it's all about the riff you know like mm. that's what sticks in my head is Right. Which one of these songs on this album, I forget which one really is coming heavily from that exact riff. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's I'm broken. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's a great riff. Very Led Zeppelin, but good. Yep, yep. So here's my question for you, I guess. There's a lot of guitar magazines from the era. Do you have a favorite? There was Guitar School, there was Guitar Magazine, there was Guitar World, and I'm trying to remember what other ones. Guitar Buyer's Guide, I guess, was another one. Which one was your go-to? For me, it was Guitar World, and then if I couldn't get Guitar World or like whatever the artist had wasn't digging on the cover or whatever, I would go to Guitar Player magazine. Yeah. It's like a, it's a cheap knockoff. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Guitar World was the main one, and that would always have like Stunt Temple Pilots or you know something else cool, and then there'd be like stuff on there also. You're like, sometimes you'd be like, all right, I don't, I'm not going to buy this month, and maybe I'll go to. Yeah, for guitar in the 90s for me, it was Guitar World all day, sometimes Guitar Player. But for info, a lot of times, honestly, it was Metal Edge and Hit Parade. Okay, I don't remember Metal Edge. Hit Parade, I remember, but. Um... They might have been bi-weekly or month. Like, they came out pretty regularly. Oh, really? So that's how I would stay up to date on a lot of, you know, with those magazines. That shit was so necessary before the internet, man. Like, you just kind of, like, randomly buy stuff because some magazine you trusted would review it. And you'd be like, all right. Or you would discover stuff, like I said, through T-shirts. You would see someone's older brother or some kid walking the hallway right. at the school. Like, oh, what's that shirt? What's that band? And of course, also, that was how I made a lot of friends, too. Like, if someone was wearing a shirt that yeah. I do, I'd be like, oh, oh, well, you listen to, you know, whoever, and now we're going to be friends for the rest of our lives. Yeah, like, that was how you, oh, hey, you're wearing this shirt. Nowadays, you know, they sell, you know, Slayer shirts at Meyer, so it's not. <laughs> Literally. 
which yeah, is bizarre. Yeah. And I bought one and it's great and I love it. But. Yeah, no, no complaints. I mean, I guess it's uh, easy accessibility there, but, but it's, it's weird. If you, if you see someone wearing one, you're not, they're not necessarily going to know, you know every track to Raiden Blood. And that's okay. That's, that's all right. <laughs> They've become, a, again, like classic bands as Pantera has become. Yeah. Well, thanks again, man, for coming on here. I think it's important that I make sure that I get some metal perspective on this show. And I really appreciate you volunteering to do that for us. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, and I really dig the podcast. I've you know been going through the episodes, and my favorite so far has been the Recipe for Hate episode. Oh, awesome. Well, I appreciate you listening, man, for sure. Well, thanks again for coming on. I think we wrapped up pretty good. Yeah, I think we did. another big big thank you to brandon callahan for coming on the show and talking about pantera with me i recognize that pantera is an important band i just fell off with them you know so i definitely appreciate his perspective he's going to come back on he's going to be talking about an album released in 1993 from another metal band that replaced their singer that year uh kind of a controversial album in a way i guess for that reason so keep an eye out for that. And if you want to come on the show, you'd be very welcome. You know, another album from the 93-94 era that I was not super into, but I recognize its importance culturally. So I'd love someone to come on who does love it is the album Smash from The Offspring. Maybe you're a fan of that album. Come on and do it. Write me at 9394podcast at gmail.com or find me on whatever social medias, you know, and whatever album you want to talk about. That'd be great. So, um, okay, yeah. I'm just going to abruptly stop again like usual because I just, I just kind of go until I stop, until I run out of steam. So I guess I'm out of steam. Thanks.
9394, a music podcast with Travis Roy, is a labor of love. It is not and never will be monetized. Please don't sue.